theyeshiva.net. As I was listening to the Kriya Torah of Shabbos, of Parshas told us, it strengthened very much what we were talking about last week, that uh, the Torah clearly wants you to empathize not only with the position of the righteous Yaakov, but somewhat also with the um, possible intimacy that was being promised. It was a promising moment, and the, the disappointment which if Esav, if the whole story is just to bring out those clear boundaries, how Esav is a Russian, and Yaakov is a Tzaddik, which is true, and Rivka was right, then you have to manipulate situations, because if not, the bad guys win, and if you want the good guys to win, you have to manipulate the situation. So that's, of course, a, a way to read the story, there's no question. I think it's the, you know, many Mepharshim, I mean, even including Rashi, I mean, I think Rashi's classic way in Parshas told us is, these were two boys, and one was really wicked, and Rashi says when he came home exhausted, it means he came home exhausted from murder. Oyev Biritzicha. You know, the Gemara says that day uh, he did five big uh, cardinal sins, Baal Naram, Urasa, etc. And it's, this is not negate, all that we discussed does not negate the, the reality of the choices that Esav made. However, what we're introducing here is the idea that uh, Esav himself is not just this black and white creature, or to put it this way, Esau is black and Yaakov is white, and that's the end of it, but that Esau's blackness is far more subtle and far more complex, which has to do with the idea of understanding that everything has a soul. And when you understand that everything has a soul, then nothing is black and white anymore, because even blackness has a soul. Thank you. So therefore... So therefore the main point was that Esau himself has two identities, what he calls here the Ur Pnimi and the Ur Makif. Or to put it in other words, Esau has a conceptualized sense of self. And then there's also a self of Esau that he can't even conceptualize about himself. There's an element of Esau's identity that he cannot define himself that way because he doesn't have a concept of it but it's as real as the rest of his identity, and in many ways more forceful and more powerful, which is called the Makif of Esau. And the Makif of Esau is actually connected to Kedusha. It actually comes from Yitzchak, and one day will be absorbed in Yitzchak, and even today, as he says, he's buried with Yitzchak. That's the head of Esau, the origin of Esau, the potential of Esau, the core, the core of Esau. It's the 11th, Herb, Levina Zaka, as we said in the Ketairus, which links the reality of divine, the reality, what we call the reality where the divine is revealed, to the reality where the divine is completely concealed. It's that number 11 that creates the link, but by definition, in order for Klippa to continue to function as Klippa, it must remain ethereal, right? It must remain ethereal, meaning it must remain above, transcendent even though extremely potent and forceful. And that is the Esau who comes to his father and says, how do you give miser from salt? How do you give miser from straw? Not just good questions, but deeply idealistic questions. Who cares about giving miser from salt? Nobody cares. No, certain people do care. Certain people care about giving miser from salt, giving miser from straw. Nothing is called completely not edible, useless. It doesn't need miser. He's looking even in the Melech and the Tevin, and Yitzchak identifies this in Esau, that the Makif of Esau 
asks these questions, even though on another level, ain't shem shamayim shagar befiv, because there's no integration between the makif and the pnimi by klipa. That's the tragedy of klipa. On the other hand, it's also its unique power because it has a certain element of we discussed uh, wildness or uninhibitedness because it doesn't have to be integrated. It doesn't have to uh, come into vessels. It doesn't always have to make sense. It doesn't have to have consistency. Here the Chiddush is that Yitzchak wants to bless Esav. And the final point was, maybe one of the very profound ideas of this Maimir is, there's no way that you can trigger Esav's holiness if you don't learn the language of your own makif. If you will not articulate to yourself your own makif, you will never be able to touch another's makif. Or to put it this way, if you want to touch Kedusha, you don't have to find your makif. Why? Because Kedusha operates in a way where there's integration between the energy and the vessel. The, the spirituality is integrated within structure. So therefore even when you relate only to a structural sense of self, you could sometimes reveal its holiness, or always reveal its holiness. But Esav's link to Kedusha is only Makif. It's only through Makif. He doesn't have another link to Kedusha. In terms of his conceptualized sense of self, of who he is, in terms of his day-to-day identity, there's no relationship to holiness. This is what, that's what Klippa is, is a huge shell that completely conceals and eclipses and absorbs and swallows up and therefore covers up the light of the divine that is in it. It's like, it's in it, but it's not like in Gullahs. It's in exile. It's in prison. It doesn't have expression. Where there is a powerful expression of Kedusha is Makif, but that's not translated in an integrated way because if it would be, he wouldn't be able to survive. So the paradox is he's fueled by a tremendous sense of holiness without knowing that it is holiness. In fact, it can be used for objectives that are exact opposite. And yet, there's a tremendous sense of idealism there. And therefore, Yitzchak says, Rivka quotes Yitzchak as saying, even though he didn't say it, but Yitzchak, Rivka quotes Yitzchak as saying to Esav that if you'll bring me food, and the expression is, Vavarechecha lifnei havaya. I'm going to reach into a place that comes before Yudke Vavke. Yudke Vavke is the structure of Kedusha. Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. In Kabbalah, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey are the four worlds. Atzilus, Bri, In Kabbalah, Yud, Hey, Vavke. Yud is Chachma, Hey is Bina, Vav is Midois, Hey is Malchus. The structure, what we call Ishtalshlus, the evolutionary structure of godliness that descends throughout and vibrates and trickles throughout all the worlds, that is Yudke Vavke. Yudke Vavke, that's Hashem's name. It's brought in Svarim. Yudke Vavke is the word Yahava. He creates, he sustains, right? Hoya, Hoiva, Vigiya. The source of his Havos, of being, of existence, is all Yudke Vavke. But over there, it's in a revealed way. It's, a, it's the name of Hashem. It's the Shema Mefirish. It's the Shema Etzem. It's the Shema Meyuchad. Different names that are given Shema Vay. You have Lifne Hashem. Doesn't only mean in the presence of Hashem. It means literally Lifne before, higher. You have it once more, Yom Kippur. And there he also teaches the same thing. That once a person ruined their life, they have to rehabilitate themselves from a place that is deeper than Yudkei Vavke because the structure has been destroyed. 
But there's always a relationship that's deeper than the structure. Like we spoke in Shiramalis, Afapishakata, Yisrahu, the Yaakov relationship could be detached, could be severed, but not the Yisrael relationship. So therefore, here too, Yitzchak says, Vavarechecha lifnei Hashem. I'm going to go in, so to speak, to the world of Makif, to the world of holiness that transcends my conceptualized sense of self in order to be able to touch you on a level that transcends your conceptualized sense of self. Did I say it right? Yeah, but Yitzchak doesn't have a makif. He's completely internalized. Where is he supposed to find makif in himself? That's his tragedy. And Yaakov's tragedy. That they don't have makif. They only have it all as Where is he supposed to find his makif if he's kedusha? The answer is, Yitzchak has been eating Esau's food. In other words, Yitzchak has been nurtured by Esau. And part of what he receives from Esav is that relationship to Makif. So by eating Esav's food, Kitsayid Befiv, he knows how much Esav has trapped in him, how much power Esav has trapped in him, and he wants that food. He wants to, he eats that food, and he loves him because of that food. In other words, that there's something tremendously authentic or raw or naked or very powerful and potent in Esav that Yitzchak feeds off of. And Yitzchak appreciates, and Yitzchak respects, that's why Esav feeds him. And that's why Yitzchak says, the only way I could bless you is if you bring me your food. You have to bring me your food for me to be able to bless you and reveal what is really behind your food. And here I don't only mean food as in physical food, but also Esav's food means Esav's energy. He feeds from Esav's Esav's energy. So if uh, a person could go into their own number 11, then they can touch somebody else's number 11. But if I can't go into my number 11, I remain only in my 10, I can relate to other 10s. I can't relate to chapter 11. So when I look at chapter 11, I'm like, out of my life, get out of my life. We have no relationship anymore. Because if I want to put it in very, very simple, I don't know, simple terms, or maybe like just one way of saying it is, if you worship a God of structure, people who do, are not part of that structure have no place in your life. And if you want to touch them, you have to do one of two things. If you want to have a relationship with them, you have to do one... They have no... Initially, you would think they have no place in your life. And if you want to touch them, the first thing you have to do is, you want to touch them in a real way, is you have to be able to graduate from a place of structure to go into a place that's much deeper than your own structure. And you have to figure out if your structure is maybe being fed by fear. Because if it is being fed by fear, rather than by enlightenment, then it becomes a prison. When structure becomes a prison, then ultimately it keeps you captive. If structure is a choice... It's a choice. What do I mean by a choice? A choice that infinity chooses structure, then even though you live a very, very structured life, much more than other people, but in a moment's call you can graduate it. That's why you will find that in Jewish history, some of the greatest tzaddikim who had the most Yerush Shamayim were also the least judgmental people. You would think 
the more Yerushamayim you have, which means the more structure you have. Because fear of heaven means there's certain things I don't do. I don't even get close to. And I'm talking about such people. Right? So when you have such people, they should be more allergic to people who are not like them than anybody else. They should, because they're, they're not, you know, liberal compromisers who are spying, just don't care. You know, not everyone who's not judgmental is coming from a powerful place. Sometimes because you just don't care. <laughs> if you don't care, of course you're non judgmental. You have nothing to be judgmental about, you have no values. Person who has no values, what should I judge? It's called moral relativism. There's no right and wrong, so how can you judge anybody? You can't even judge a terrorist, because they probably grew up in a refugee camp. They may be sitting on $10 billion, but they always grew up in a refugee camp. So, well, I'm not talking about that. We're talking about people who have real values. In other words, and values by definition mean structure. There's red lines you don't cross. This is right, this is wrong. That's what the whole Shulchan Aruch is about. This is mutter, this is asr. This is kosher, this is treif, right? This is zakai, this is chayev. This is yoim, this is laila, etc. So it's a world where there's tremendous values. So l'chayda, such people should have been the most judgmental people and the most allergic to people who were not that way. But the emiss says that it's really the other way around. Because for them, structure was not the prison. It wasn't that they were afraid of something that's beyond that. On the contrary, it came from serving Hashem in a genuine way, not because it suits my comfort zone. Because it suits my comfort zone, so you don't fit into it, you're out of my life. It came from understanding that the ultimate of life is to integrate infinity and finiteness. So therefore, infinity must come into finiteness. But at a moment's notice, I never become defined by it completely to the point that I cannot relate to godly sparks wherever I see them. So when they sometimes saw a person who was completely in a different world, they had a connection always to the secret of Makif. And therefore, Matsasi David Avdi says the Medrash, Heichen Matsasi, B'zdoim. I found David in Zdoim, which means, of course, Loit and his daughters because... David came from Rus, and Rus came from Moyev, and Moyev came from Light. So that's them. Sometimes you find Mashiach only in Zdaim. Right? Matsasi David Avdibizdim. For that, you have to be a very expansive person. Because if not, you cut out everything that doesn't fit. So the Mela, only when a person worships a God that is truly infinite, so then infinity has no places where it expresses itself exclusively. And therefore, this doesn't mean it's an easy journey, but it means that I could really appreciate like the, the intensity of the sun that can draw out all the moist, all the dew that's in the earth. The more heat, the more you attracted to it. The more Kedusha they had, the less judgmental they were. The more they could be Makar of Jews. The more they can embrace people. Because if you're really godly, you see godliness everywhere. If you're really, really godly, you see godliness everywhere. If you're really, really refined, you see refinement everywhere. And because you see refinement everywhere, you're not threatened by people who are different. On the contrary. On the contrary, you're like a fireball of inspiration. You're a fireball of joy. You're a fireball of possibility. And therefore, you see possibility everywhere. You see the Urmakif, even if it's not integrated. So you could bring it out. So Yitzchak wanted to do this with Esav at this moment. 
l'fnei Hashem to be able to help restore Esav to his innate spiritual dignity, which he was separated from. Okay, that's the Nikud. Anybody has any questions or comments or feelings yeah, about this? integration of infinite and finite. Is that defined as Tiferes, what we said before? Well, on some level, on some level, Tiferes generally is integration. But the integration here comes from a place of choice. You choose it, you're not imprisoned by it. And therefore, at a moment's notice, you can also transcend it. You can transcend it. It never becomes a box. You may live in a box, but you're not defined by the box ever. And if you have to open the box, you're fine with that. Because it's not really a box. <coughs> it's just another way that infinity is being expressed. Like we learned about the Esesphiris Haknuzis of Akudim, that the ten there are not really so differentiated from each other. Because they're really just different expressions of the same truth. So when that happens, so then you're never defined by one or the other completely. So his goal would have been to give Esau a bracha so that his makif should become internalized, but leave a little makif behind instead of that. He really should have given Yaakov a bracha to give him some makif. That he was, you know, it's, uh, was really oh, excited to see if he, he said off that Yaakov was the Yoshev Olam. He really should have given Yaakov a bracha also to be I don't know, more I, I wouldn't use person. the word nebach. I wouldn't use the word nebach on... Uh, we're bringing out something in Esau, but it's not... In other words, yes, there's a there's a mylin makif, there's a mylin makif, but there's also a tremendous chisorin because it remains makif. That's that's its challenge. So it's very easy just to cut it out, just to say Esav has nothing for me. There's nothing in him for us, and that's what we usually do. We just cut off Esav. There's nothing in him for us, but uh, but uh, there's really something deeper. If there was nothing in him for us, there wouldn't be a story with it. Esav wouldn't occupy such vulnerable space in Yitzchak's heart. Right? So if you want to live a black and white life, it's easy. I don't know, it's easy. It probably doesn't work for a lot of people, but it works for some people. Because everything is black and white. No confusing us. But there's something in Esav. Yitzchak loves Esav for a reason. So again, we say, you know, he fooled him, he deceived him, he was, but that's, that, that, we're fooling ourselves when we say that. <laughs> he fooled him, he was an old man, he fooled him, he was never blind, he couldn't see what's going on, and so forth. Was uh, Yitzhak wrong? Huh? Was Yitzhak wrong? Is... We're going to get to that now. Was Yitzhak wrong? Question. What the question, when we use the word wrong, yeah. the word wrong is a word, but we have to define what wrong is. So we'll see in a moment what wrong means. Sometimes you're wrong, but you're still right. Yeah? It's like you needed a sub energy. How is it that did Yaakov rise to a higher level because he did need That's exactly what Rivka wanted. It's a good question. What happens at the end is Yaakov ultimately has to put on Esau's clothes. Because what Rivka was telling him, there's no way you're getting these blessings if you don't put on Esav's clothes. It wasn't so much, an, I mean, you could call it an act of manipulation, or it, was, it was more an act of initiation. That Yaakov will have to become comfortable with another identity as well. We'll see in a few moments. Let's go further inside here. So Yitzchak wants to draw an Esav, not through Yaakov. He wants a relationship with Esav, directly. 
Ach It's the page forty. The line starts oyer. It's like probably ten lines from the bottom. The line starts oyer. Ach Nonetheless, we call Yitzchak's behavior here is your, your answer to the question a tos, an error. What's pshat? She'ein Esav k'day b'bchina zurkiim al-yedei Yaakov. Esav needs to be sublimated, but it has to happen through Yaakov. Why? V'fi she'im ha'ya chayis nemshechal Esav, if the vitality would go straight to Esav, yibola chas v'sholom k'mikedem. One of two things happens. Either it would get swallowed up like the first time around, or the opposite, lo yiyem ebchines Esav klum. There would be nothing left to him. The nuclear energy would either become swallowed up and just feed more of the negativity, or it would be the other way around. If it would be so revealed, he would expire. There would be no Esav left. For the transformation of darkness to light. bitterness to sweetness. It must, Rivka understood it has to go through Yaakov. Who represents what we call Za Dikdusha, Zae Rampan, which represents the six midos of Kedusha, Shal Yodo Yisbarir Me'esav. Through that, the sparks will be sublimated, refined, sorted out, boyer, selected from Esav, the Yuchlal Bikdusha, the Lachain Hiskem Yitzchagamkin, Lebirchis Yaakov Acherkach, which is why Yitzchak himself concedes and agrees to the blessing of Yaakov at the end. Ula Esav Amar, and finally, when he wants to bless Esav, he tells him, Mishmane ha'aretz yimeshavecha, Mishmane miktsas shmane. First, he said, Vitan lecha lekim mital hashamayim u'mishmane ha'aretz. He should give you from the tal and from the shmane ha'aretz. So leYakov Amar u'mishmane betois v'zvav. With the Esav, he says, Mishmane ha'aretz yimeshavecha. The Hainu. From the leftover, from the tamtsis, from what's squeezed out that's left over from the shuman, the shemen, the fatness that goes to the earth, from that shmane that goes to the earth, over there should be myshavecha, over there should be your dwelling place, which is your pnimiyas, you should have something of the shuman, which he said before, that shemen represents chachma. And Abba, Chachma, is the source of the daughter, which is Eretz. And he wanted to give him the Tal and the Shemen in order to elevate him. So now he says, from this, Shemen should come into your dwelling, which Moshev is always your conceptualized sense of self, your Pneumius. That's his Loshen. Mital HaShamayim, it should be Me'al. Dahainu b'chines makiv b'lvad mashenken b'yakiv v'yitam l'cha. O b'tnaid is a condition, the bracha continues, v'esachicha tavoit. Shetiyeh botel el b'chines Yaakov shal yodu yiyah liyah dafke k'neskeleh. In the final bracha that Yitzchak gives Esav, what's the Loshen that he says? This is what he's interpreting now. The original bracha was very different. This is what he wanted to give Esav. In the bracha at the end that he gives Esav, his Lashen is, when Esav begs and begs, we only have one bracha. So finally, Yitzchak tells him the Lashen, Mishmane ya'aretz yeh Moshevecho, mital ha'shamayim me'ol. So Moshevecho is your dwelling, meaning what, how you see yourself. You should get something of the Shemen in that. Tal ha'shamayim, which I gave Yaakov, yitam l'cha, will still remain me'ol. The condition is, esachicha tavoit. Ultimately, Esav will have to find guidance and direction 
from Yaakov in order to be able to come back to his true self, because only that way will he be able to have an aliyah. So what is he saying here? Yitzchak had this whole plan, and then at the end he says, Yitzchak ta. When we use the word mistake, this is extremely important to understand, it's different than when he's using here the word mistake. Usually, why do people make mistakes? To put it, I don't mean to be so general, of course, about why people make mistakes. There's only, you know, a trillion reasons why people make mistakes. But with, 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 the, with the danger of, of being, of overgeneralizing, people make mistakes for two reasons. One reason is because they're blind, they don't have information. And the second reason is because they're lazy. <laughs> they have information, but they're lazy. And when I say laziness, I mean all emotions. We make mistakes not because we don't have the information, I have it, but because of emotional issues. Or I make mistakes because I don't see reality. Those are the reasons we make mistakes. I don't see reality. I'm, I'm not smart enough, or I'm not perceptive enough, or I have been fed the wrong information. That's why people make mistakes. Why, why do you make any mistake? Why do, you make, why do you make a mistake about your child the other day? You didn't realize the truth. If you would have realized the truth, you would have not made the mistake. Or you did realize the truth, but you had too much emotional um, uh, baggage. baggage. I was looking for a new word, but fine. We can, go, we can go back to baggage. Too many emotions that are stopping me. Call it laziness, call it fear, call it uh, I'm too comfortable, it's too unfamiliar, it's too humbling, whatever it is, I'm too angry. And that's why we make mistakes. We make mistakes. There's a third reason why men make mistakes. They're hungry. <laughs> when they're hungry, they also make terrible mistakes. But that all has to do with uh, either you don't see reality or your emotions. When you say here Yitzchak Ta, when you say here Yitzchak Ta, it's important to understand. There's generally a debate. I would call it a debate between, uh, I don't like the word, but just I'm using it, between the Haredi world and the modern Orthodox world in education. In the more religious world, they like to say that a lot of the characters of Tanakh never made mistakes. They're infallible. They don't make mistakes. In the more modern Orthodox system, they love saying, the beauty of the great people of the Tanakh is that they always made mistakes. And we don't cover up their mistakes, and we talk about their mistakes, and so forth. Right? Now, the reason that people say they don't make mistakes, I'm talking about the tzaddikim in Tanakh, is because of the Sugis in Gemara. You read the Tanakh. What did David do? What did Reuven do? What did Shlomo do? Look what they did. Gemara says, You don't know the story. What is the Gemara trying to say? What are Chazal trying to say? Did they make mistakes? Did they not make mistakes? And this is a very important because it comes up right here with Yitzchak. Did Yitzchak make a mistake? Did Yitzchak not make a mistake? The whole Maimer, and that's his objective, he's extolling the perspective of Yitzchak. And then suddenly, he made a mistake. You just explained to me this whole thing with Makif and Makif and Makif and Pnimi. He made a mistake. Okay, so then, maybe you should rewrite the Maimer so far. So he made a mistake. There's a mistake and there's a mistake. I make mistakes every day. Some of you, I can't speak for everybody, probably also make some mistakes every day. What are the mistakes? The mistakes come lack of information or lack of complete self-control. One of those two reasons we make mistakes. No self-control on an emotional level or a lack of information, which means I don't know. 
Those two mistakes, that's what the Gemara means, I want to compare David's mistakes to my mistakes. It's called emotional weakness. It's emotional weakness. I'm having a bad day. I woke up on the left side. I didn't get the compliments I needed. So I have a void. And when people have voids, they need to fill them. So they fill them through different things. So when breakfast comes, they already start off on the left leg. And then the day just goes downward. Okay? It's that email that came early in the morning. Who asked you to read emails in bed? But you did. That email that, you know, it, it, uh, it derailed you, huh? It set the tone and that's it. So I'm not in a good place. What if you're in a very wholesome place? And what if you have access to all the information? Do you make mistakes? We don't make mistakes then. Those are good decisions. Those are the types of mistakes they made. They made mistakes from very wholesome places. So what, what, why is it called a mistake? It's called a mistake because God had a different plan. That's what the mistake is. Because Hashem had a different plan. And there was a reason He had a different plan. There was a reason. Because maybe there's certain information, there is certain information that He has access to. So it's not the shortcoming of the person coming from a moment of profound moral or intellectual weakness, but rather the person is actually behaving on an optimal level. But nonetheless, in the scheme of all of reality, it's called a toast, it's called a mistake. So therefore, this is a very important idea. People say Chazal were just apologetic. They were always apologetic. They were apologizing for everybody's sins. Everyone is perfect. Avram is perfect. Look what he does to Sari, he's perfect. Yitzchak is perfect, Yaakov is perfect, David is perfect, Shalom is perfect, Shaul is perfect. Look what Shaul did, he's perfect. So the one way of saying they just, you know, they just can't see that people make mistakes and they have this perception that nobody makes mistakes. And there's a whole, there's a lot of literature about this, you know. The Tanakh is about mistakes, everyone makes mistakes, mistakes, you're human, you're human, you're human. And there's a, there's a value in that idea that basically learn from them. Don't turn them into, okay, forget about the others, the Mois is a different league. You talk even about G'daylum of the last generation. If you read most history books, they're not shy to make mistakes. They're not shy to make mistakes, right? Everyone is the same story. When they were four, they knew Tanakh Balpa. When they were seven, they knew Shisha Sadr Mishnah. When they were 16, they finished Bavli. By 18, they finished Yerushalmi. Boom, 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 boom. Okay? If anybody struggled with anything... <laughs> It's out. Never happened, never existed, never will exist. Now, I'm not sure educationally it's a very productive, first of all, because it's not true. <laughs> but that's besides the point. <laughs> the second thing is, I mean, you're not a normal person, so there's nothing I could relate to you, and I can't get inspired by you if you're not normal. We get inspired by human vulnerability, not by human perfection. For perfect human beings, I can't learn from it. So that's an extreme where even where there's genuine mistakes on a very human level, we have an issue with it. We have a problem with it. What the Gemara is saying is, Reuven made a mistake. Yitzchak, he says, he made a mistake. But I understand there are mistakes and there are mistakes. There are mistakes that come because I'm not fully in control of myself or I'm blind, I'm partially blind, I'm not open to the information. And there are mistakes that come from a deeper place. And that's why he will not back off on everything he said about Yitzchak. Because the Torah wants you to know that Yitzchak wanted to bless Esau. And Rivka would not come to Yitzchak and say, don't bless Esau. 
she will do what she does, but she will not try to change Yitzchak's opinion. Why not? Because she wants that there should remain a reality in which Esav has to be blessed. Yitzchak's paradigm is Esav has to be blessed. And he tries to do it. Rivka would not come and say, no, 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 you do what you have to do. I'll do what I have to do. In other words, both realities exist. There's the reality of Yitzchak, there's the reality of Yaakov. What do we have from this? Yitzchak wants to give Esav the Makif and elevate it. And Yitzchak feels that he can do this. That's why he wants to do it. And yet, the Balatanya tells us that ultimately the Baruchas have to come to Esau, but they have to be channeled through Yaakov. They have to come to Esau through Yaakov. Why not to Esau directly? Isn't that a much better way because you're dealing with Esau? Why do I have to temporarily deposit the Baruchas by Yaakov until one day Yaakov will be able to sublimate Esau? The Gemara tells us in Mesechta Megillah about, about Mordechai, Vayizak Za'oka G'doyla Umara. Why did that happen? Because Esau's tears. Kishmoya Esau is divided by Yitzak Za'oka G'doyla Umara. And therefore, Mordechai Vayizak Za'oka G'doyla Umara. In other words, this cry of Esau did not get ignored by history. History is not tone deaf to Esau's tears. And generations later, Mordechai is going to cry. I think there's a word from the Ruzhin, uh, the Helek Ruzhin, the Mashiach won't come until Yaakov doesn't dry up Esau's tears. What does this mean? Esau's tears came from his makif, his primal self crying out, why did nobody ever give me a chance in life? That's what he was crying. Nobody ever gave me a chance in life. I know I'm a criminal, or I don't. I may be a criminal, but nobody gave me a chance in life. Um, uh, I don't know if I could mamish compare, but Shlomo Lekalbach once told a story that he went to a high security prison, and you know he used to hug everybody. As he once said, when somebody challenged him about something, that when I come to heaven, one thing they're going to say he hugged more Jews than anybody else in history. And he was a good hugger. He knew how to hug. He knew how to hug vulnerably. So uh, he once went to one of these high-security prisons. Uh, I don't know if you ever visited these places. It's scary just to walk through the halls and see some of the creatures behind the gates. It's, you know, it's not places... Uh, the, the guards don't feel safe there, put it that way. In some place, they don't even have a lot of have guns because they're scared they're going to wrestle, they're going to take them from them and use them. So uh, he was going through one of these... Uh, and he was hugging everybody, hugging, hugging... So, you know, there's this big guy, seven feet, uh, huge, muscular. You don't want to start up with him in a dark alley, and even in a bright alley. And he sees him. So he says, ah, my holy brother, let me give you a hug. And he hugs him and hugs him and hugs him and hugs him. And he blesses him, and then he moves on. And the guy is chasing uh, Shleimala. So the one going with him got scared. You know, what is he up to? He says, yeah, what? He says, give me another hug, another hug. So he gives him another hug, even longer hug. And then he said over, he said, and the man looks at me, he said, you know, if I would have gotten one such hug in my life, I probably wouldn't have ended up in this place. So there is, this is not about uh, condoning, uh, condoning criminal, criminal behavior and making people not responsible for their life. It's about the idea 
that sometimes people never got a chance. Nobody ever gave them a real chance. You know, nobody ever gave them a hug verbally. Even. Nobody gave them a chance. All they heard was that they don't fit into the system. And Esav is the classic example of that. And when he hears finally, you know, this moment, this cry that the Torah is so dramatic about is a cry from Kedusha. It's a cry from the Makif. Esav's primal godly self is like, I never got a chance. Five minutes later, he's going, going to go kill. You know, business is business, pleasure is pleasure. He's back on schedule. He has a schedule. The mafia is waiting for him. You know, they got to bring ten pieces home. But uh, this primal cry of Vayitzak Vayikishmoya Esav as Divrei Aviv, and it's a pasuk in itself. Vayitzak Tzakudelu was his mak of crying. But here's the challenge: that there was such a lack of integration that if Yitzchak would have given him the brachas, one of two things would have happened: either it would have got squandered and absorbed in the pnimi of Esav, and simply would use nuclear energy to fuel dysfunction, which is very dangerous. Or, if Yaakov, Yitzchak would make sure that the, the makif is more revealed, there would be nothing left to him. Because there's no way that this can be integrated. So Esav would have to cease being Esav, and then you destroy him. You turn him into holiness, but he's a zombie. And ultimately, you lose the energy of Esav. He says, to transform darkness into light is a process. And the process must happen through Yaakov, because then it can happen in a process where Esav can absorb it, rather than get destroyed. Yes, there's times that Hamashimo, the end of the Pacific War, happened through dropping two atom bombs in 1945 on Japan. It ended the war very, very fast. But there was nothing left. The, 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 the amount of casualties, I'm, I'm not criticizing Truman's decision. I'm not doing that. But I'm just saying, there's, you blow something up and there's nothing left. So I, one of two things would have happened. Either the Makif would have been swallowed up, or it would have blown up Esav. There couldn't be an Esav left. How can he be Esav with such Makif? He would just be absorbed in the infinite, in the Ein Saif. And then you ultimately did not work through the shells. You didn't work through the Avoid of Birurim. The Avoid of Boirur can't happen that way. So therefore, is Yitzchak right or is Yitzchak not right? Yitzchak is right in the sense that Esav's makif is craving to be redeemed and Esav is craving to be redeemed. And Esav's cries have to be have to be dealt with. Esav's cries are meaningful. On the other hand, he says, Yitzchak ta, in the divine scheme of history, what Rivka understood was that Yaakov has to ultimately absorb the makif that Yitzchak wanted to give Esav, so one day he should be able to channel it and transfer it to Esav. And when that happens, Esav will have a biru. But what that means is, he tells Esav, ultimately, for you to be able to integrate with your makif, you're going to have to build a relationship with Yaakov. And Yaakov will have to become a moral teacher, a moral leader, who will be able to help Esav find himself. Because you right now don't have the tools to be able to figure it out on your own. You must have those tools from Yaakov Avinu. And therefore, the, ch- the, the challenge for you is that it should happen through Yaakov. And Esav himself, therefore, has this paradox with Yaakov. On a Pnimi level, he wants to kill Yaakov. On a Makif level, of course, 
He is one with Yaakov. He wants to be one with Yaakov. Yaakov is the closest person. There's an expression weak. Sometimes people want to kill that which they love most. That which they love most, that's what you want to kill. Because it's very hard to make peace with it. So that which you love most, you want to destroy. So the process now has to happen. The, what the process that has to happen is that the Birur of Esau happens over history, but through Yaakov. And this is, of course, not only Esau and Yaakov, it's the Esau and Yaakov himself. Within, within every person themselves, there's the, two, there's the polarity of Esau and Yaakov, that Esau gets sublimated through the Yaakov process, but there's that special, unique gift that Esau has, which is the Makif. Who's, who's Esau today? We know who Yaakov is. Who's Yaakov today? Jews. And um, who's Esau today? He didn't have any uh, from Jewish women, well, you know. I mean, yeah. Well, generally, we there, associate is no, there is no Esau other than laying in the Miras Machpelah, right? I mean, generally, Esau became associated with Edom, which in Chazal is associated with Rome. Uh, Amalek, which, yeah, but no, Amalek is one brand, but Rome is associated with Western civilization, right? We all know Am- Amalek and, and Edom, but they're not they're not Jews at this point, you know. They're not. Uh, or, or, or are we still having that association with Goyim? Wait, so, so Edom has a different neshama than the other Goyim? Well, we don't have a nation today called Edom, but generally speaking... Well, the Italians. Edom, the Italians, maybe. I mean, that's why we like pizza. We like pizza, exactly. <laughs> we like sushi, too, so that's a problem. But uh, That's from the children of Avram. The East. <laughs> oh, the East. The Chinese food and no, the sushi. No, no, seriously. Um, uh, are, are we, are we re- reconciling with the Goyim, you're saying? Are we reconciling with the Goyim? That's a very good question. I think that we live today in a world where uh, many, many of the Goyim are actually waiting for this moment of Yaakov uh, displaying uh, moral leadership. And that's why uh, the focus is on Israel like Always. it is? Yeah. Rav Cook once said, a very insightful idea. I think it's out soccer in one shot. Okay. <laughs> not, not, not in this sheet. Not in this sheet. Not in this sheet. for sure. I was just kidding. Um, um, I joined an interior card. You joined them? Yeah, right after the sheer, I'm signing up. Okay, should be with Hatzlocha. Let's make sure the rocks are not Muktzah. <laughs> Shabbos rocks are Muktzah. We use the shear of the Chazanish, <laughs> right? Is that, is that, is that the Muslim, the menorah, where you should have only lit four lights because that would have been more leadership? Oh, with Jimmy Carter, yeah. And, and, and back by um, the, uh, David Loito'o, if, what was Bat Sheva if it wasn't, um, you know, wasn't that even just a, 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 a test? Wasn't Bathsheba a test that he, you know, didn't make it? Well, David himself said, Chatasi Lashem, I sinned to God. Right? He acknowledged his sin. What the Gemara says, Kalayma David I think part of what it's saying is that uh, it's easy to put Chatayim into the category that we're common, we're used to. It's easy to put their mistakes into the category. Right, right. That so I'm saying Bathsheba was a profound, uh, an emotional, impulse. profound right. emotional weakness. Right. I see some somebody beautiful, and I just lose myself, right. and I betray everybody in the process. Right. And I that's the way you would think, no? That's, you, that's what you read, yeah? Shimon Peres' famous statement, yeah? 
Or if Cook once said that uh, they asked him about anti-Semitism and this, he said something very insightful, very interesting. You could debate it, you can probably debate it, but it's worth reflecting on. He said uh, something of this nature, that Jews never knew how to play little league. They always play big league, and those weren't his words, and always on center stage. Now he says the way history evolves is as follows. Every culture and civilization is given a few years or centuries, decades or centuries. Rome was given 500 years. And it's like you get the mic and you're on center stage and you give your speech to the world. The Persians made their contribution, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. They make their contribution for good and for bad. You have your mic for 100 years, 50 years, 500 years, the Romans, crazily long. And what do you do when you finish giving the speech? What happens? So at a Jewish dinner, nothing. You don't finish, but usually you finish giving your speech and you pass over the mic to the next civilization. And then, so to speak, you, you go on to the dustbins of history. He says, the funny thing with the Jews is, they were given the mic, <laughs> and they're still holding it. Why? And the cook said, because they're stuttering. They're stuttering. So the whole world looks at them and say, no, but they're, they're too afraid of their own message because it's too powerful for them to believe. So whenever you have a message that's too powerful for you to believe, you stutter. You say it, but you don't say it. So all the world is saying is, no, no. So he says they never got rid of the mic because they're still waiting for the Jews to say their speech. Tafasta? Tafasta? That's a profound insight on Jewish history. When your message is too powerful for you to believe it, you stutter. But the world says, we know that what you're saying is not your real message. We feel it. right? You're just diluting it. So tell us what you really heard at Mount Sinai that I'm not ready for because I think you're going to make fun of me. You're going to hate me even more. You'll think I'm completely cuckoo and my whole agenda is to be integrated. So therefore you become very uncomfortable with it. So he says that's why they never go off center stage. Now it is a funny thing. I mean the obsession with Israel is anything but rational, right? Called obsession with Jews. Indonesia has 300 million people that live there. How often do you read about Indonesia? Usually once in 25 years when there's a tsunami or something. Israel has 7 million people. Yeah? 8 million people. Yeah? How often do you read about it? It's either on page 1 or page 2 or at worst page 3. But it's not going to Or usually all three. Somebody gives a burp in Israel and everyone jumps. You know, a Hindu uh, priest could remain in a monastery for 99 years fast. Nobody notices. A Jew sneezes, and it's front page news, because they sneezed in Israel. The only country that claims it's like any other country is Israel. (laughs) Nobody thinks it's like any other country. But for Israel, the greatest compliment is when somebody could call it a regular country. But it's not, it's nothing, but no, and no one even thinks it. The only ones who try to think it's a regular country are Jews, because of our complexes. You know how much money they're getting? Huh? It's marketing. That it's a regular country. <laughs> so the last paragraph on 40. 
ואתה יבור הכוסוב ראי ריח בני כריח סודה שברכי השם. According to all of this, we'll be able to understand the Pesach and told us when Yaakov, who Yitzchak assumes as Esav, walks in and Yitzchak asks him who he is and he keeps identifying him as Esav. He keeps identifying himself as Esav and Yitzchak feels that there's something off here, it may be Esav. And finally, he comes over to him, he eats, he drinks, he kisses him, and it says, He smells the reich of his clothes, and he says, The aroma of my son is like the aroma of the field that Hashem blessed. And then he says right away, That smell is what, so to speak, elicits or inspires or triggers the flow of brachas. He says, Kihine Yitzchak Remember that Yitzchak's objective was to help bring forth, to be mamshech, to draw down, to draw like hamshacha, right? We learned Naharis hamoshchen today, rivers that flow. He wanted to create a flow, a hamshacha, of the makif of Esav towards Esav. Esav really has a dimension that's deeply kedusha, but it's in a state of Makif, which is very, very intense, but it's not integrated. He's not cognizant of what is in him, or to put it more accurately, what is above him. Because it's really not in it. It's in him, but it's in him in a way that it's above him. It's not in him in a processed way. And Yitzchak wants to help him access that Ur Makif, which means the Ur which transcends his Kalim, transcends his conceptualized sense of self, how he sees himself. And this is the cloud. Whenever you have ur pnimi, it means a light that becomes part of your conceptualized sense of self. You make sense of it. This is how you define. You know, when people talk about themselves, I'm this, I'm this, I like this. What are your hobbies? You know, those stupid questions. What are your hobbies? What do you do? What you don't do? As though most people know what they do and know what they like to do. But uh, even if you're... (laughs) Even if you got that, okay. But even if from the few lucky ones that actually you know what your hobbies are, what you don't know hobbies are, you have a certain conceptualized sense of self of who I am, and you make hopefully you make some peace with it. The makif, whenever you say er makif, it doesn't mean it's not in you. It could be far deeper in you than anything else. It just means it doesn't become part of my uh, conceptualized sense of self, and uh, very often. That is far more powerful and far more intense than anything else because it's not filtered, it's not limited. I don't have to make sense of it. So that makif is what Yitzchak wants to be mamshich. He wants to bring forth to Esav. Once, that's you, what, once you would make it part of the conceptualized sense of self, it wouldn't be makif though. Then it would have the restrictions, so to speak, of the right. previous. But, but that's right. Okay. It's it has its 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 component. Makif could get away with murder because <laughs> it's not translated that way. So, as a result of this, he says, Yitzchak wanted to be Mamashach the Makif and the Levoina. The Levoina, like we said, Levoina Zaka was this 11th herb that was used in the Ketaitis, which we, are, we explained is not number 10, it's number 11, which is the link between the world of complete Kedusha and the world of concealment of Kedusha. That's the link, and that's the number 11, which is why the Ketaitis 
was number 11, because the Ketodos came to remove the Ruach Hazuham, or the Ruach of Klippa, and therefore you always have to have number 11, because if you don't have number 11, you're not dealing with it. In order to access its real energy, you need to access the number 11, even in Kedusha, so to speak. And that's what we explained, that to connect to Esau's Kedusha, Yitzchak needs to connect to the number 11 component, because if not, you cannot communicate with Esau's Kedusha, because Esau's Kedusha is a different type of Kedusha than Yaakov's Kedusha. Esau's Kedusha is in a state of Ermakov, it's not in a state of Erpnimi. So, whenever you're talking about Erpnimi, again, you're talking about the Er, that's what we call Pnim. Pnim means, it goes into the Pnimius. Pnimius means, in English, internalization. I internalize it, I internalize it, it becomes part of who I am. Makif are those forces that may define us completely, but we don't define ourselves based on it. They define us. We can't define them. And that's the key difference. Pnimi, I grasp it. I define it. And therefore, it defines me. Makif, it sometimes defines me, but I can't define it. If I would define it, it would be integrated into my eye. So I cannot define it. I may not even be aware of it. That's how powerful it is. But it often defines me, or it defines a lot of me. But the way it defines me is, that's the, 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 the subtlety of the word makif. Makif means surrounding. He doesn't mean it in spatial terms, that it surrounds Esau. He means it conceptually. When something surrounds me, I don't have it. It has me. And that's two types of experiences in life. You have it, it has you. Pnimi means, so to speak, it goes inside. Pnim goes inside. So I have it. So I can define it. I make sense of it. I have a language for it. Do I grasp it fully? Maybe not. Remember, even our pnimi has layers and layers and layers, right? Even a pnimi can have a mak. Everything is relative. Maybe tomorrow I'll gain more of it. You know, it's like self-awareness. How much do you know yourself today? You know a certain amount of yourself, but in a year you may be open to something you never even realize. Sometimes people have an epiphany after 50 years about something that guided them for so many decades and they never knew. And then like, ah, that's why. That's why I always felt the need to lie. That's why I always recoil when I see this particular person. Wow, wow, wow. So that's like when a makif enters the world of Pnimi. It's like an epiphany. It's like, whoa. Like you shine a light on something that was always there, but it was in a transcendent state. But now suddenly it's like, ah, I grasped it. Makif always remains to a certain degree not fully graspable. That's why it's called makif. It surrounds you, you don't surround it. Which conceptually means it has you, you don't have it. Can you give us an example of when Makif goes into Pnimi, yeah. so it, it gets a Kedusha? It gets what? Kedusha? I mean, it becomes a Kedusha or... Well, Klippa also has the Pnimi, but the Kedusha of the Klippa is in Golos in the Pnimi. The conceptualized self of Klippa cannot access the Kedusha and the Pnimi is the way, because then it wouldn't be able to be Klippa, right? The uniqueness of Makif is that there's actually more revealed Kedusha there, and the Klippa could survive because it's not integrated. You understand? The Pnimius of Klippa is also Kedusha, but it's completely in Galos. That's why the identity could be antithetical to the energy that gives it identity. I can use God's energy to uh, dedicate my life to deny that he exists. That works. The Makif, however, is much more powerful. It's much more revealed. It's the Chiyus that gives it Chayus, which comes from Hashem. So how can the Klippa survive with it? And the answer is because it remains aloof. 
remains above, it remains sublime techer. Either Esav would have disappeared, he would have become a spiritual zombie, or the other way around, it would have all been swallowed up and absorbed. In that case, it couldn't be. By Esav. It had to come through Yaakov. The brachas had to be deposited to Yaakov in order that slowly he will be able to sublimate Esav. Right. It wasn't Rivka's fault. Rivka was just saying the other part of reality. To give maybe a simple example, I know it's not accurate. You know, sometimes you see somebody who's having a very, very difficult life and you say, here, go into rehabilitation and I'll give you money. Here's money. (laughs) Here's a check. It's an open check. Go into rehab. What do they do with it? They buy some more more substances. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they're not capable at this moment of rehabilitating themselves. They're just not there. It's very, very sad. It's not that there's nothing to rehabilitate, but they're not capable of it. They have grown too far from themselves to be able to take control for themselves. So giving them money is not empathy, like we spoke, it's enabling them. It's just enabling more disaster. That's the first situation where I'll give more ur to Esav, and all he will do with this ur is, yeah, he will just, you know, eat it up too. He will swallow it up too. He will just manipulate it too. He's not in the position, he's so detached from his makif that he's not in the position of doing anything with it. Or the other way around, he'll be so powerful, he'll cease to exist. There won't be anything left of him. You can destroy people, but then it's not the purpose, then you don't need an ace of Still somebody who's in that stage of himself has a way out through... <coughs> of course, always. That's what he says, Esachicha Tavoit. Esachicha Tavoit. Once I read in a book, I don't recall the name of the book, he said that uh, oh, the firstborn, Ishmael and Esav, they had in the excess, whatever Abraham had, got in the excess of the firstborn, Ishmael, and if it's that, all the excess went to Esav, and they couldn't have it. It was too intense, you say. Intense. Yeah. The Zuhama. The Zuhama. That's another word for it. It's like shum, the, like the sediment. Is another word for it? The Shmarim. The Psydlus. Metal grinding. So you call those pieces. Filings. Metal filings. I don't know. See, so, so Yitzchak wants to be Mamshat Khinis Makafal of Oyna Kanal. Now. That's why he speaks, focuses so much on the smell, reach, which is like the k'tairis. The k'tairis, the burning of the incense, created a smell, created an aroma. Because Yitzchak here is dealing with k'tairis. V'chol hamshachahu al loss mayin nukvin kenoida. Mayin nukvin is, a, is, a, is a, as you see, man. It's an acronym of Rosh which means feminine waters. In contrast to Mem Dalad, which is Mayan Duchrin, which means masculine waters. These are symbolic terms in Kabbalah, which represent two concepts. We had it earlier. Man and Mad. Feminine waters and masculine waters. Feminine waters and masculine waters means, like between man and woman, there's the flow of the feminine and there's the flow of the masculine. 
it's a marshal for Hashem or for heaven and earth. Sometimes the arousal begins from earth and sometimes the inspiration begins from heaven. When the inspiration begins from above, it's called mayim duchren, masculine waters. There's an internal orgasmic flow of the male. Mayim nukven means there's an internal trigger and flow from the female. So it's spiritually representative of the concept of Ishmazriyat Chila, the Gemara Nid, or Ishmazrast Chila, if the trigger begins from above or the trigger begins from below. Sometimes a person feels inspiration. Very often you feel nothing. You have to create inspiration. So he says, all Hamshacha must have some precipitation, some preparation of the Mayan Nukvin, of the feminine waters. It's impossible if there's absolutely no recipient, it's very difficult to initiate a flow. If you want to give people pnimiyas, it's enough if the initiation comes from that state. But if you want to bring forth of makif, so you have to have this sublimation. The initiation should also be for makif. Whenever you deal with smell, who ha loss mayinukvin, shubchinis urchhoizer. Reyach, smell, is a very, very powerful force. It represents ha'alas mayinukvin, the smell of something. The smell of something is not the object itself, but actually what it emits back. This is called urchhoizer, the light that balances back, it returns. So something, you say, this person or this thing has a reyach, it has a smell. So this is the Ur from the object to me. I smell it. It's my, a certain relationship that I have with it. But the object has lots of components that I have a relationship with. It has light. I could see it. It has taste. It has texture. Sound. Of course, sound and so forth. But here we're talking about specifically the aroma of it. What does that represent? For whom may hagvuras? The aroma represents a very intense component of it called gvurah. The sweet apple doesn't have much of an aroma. Chomutz is the sour one. And generally, sharp things, tarty things, have a very strong reyach, a strong aroma. What's the connection? All halas man, all initiation from below is basically the birur of the sparks that fell down into them as a result of the breaking of the vessels. You'll never have by any mitzvah. Hashem says, "Do this mitzvah." It's a beautiful smell for me. Only one exception: karbonus. Karbonus. The Torah keeps on saying, "Offer the animal reach nichayach." It's a beautiful aroma. Why? Because the carbon is unique that you're taking actually an animal, a beast, and you're taking the soul of the animal and you're sublimating it to Hashem. And it becomes submerged in a heavenly fire. As the Gemara says in Yuma that Eishel Maila came down to the Mizbeach to consume the carbonus. So here you have the ultimate transformation. And in the ultimate transformation from the nefesh of the behemah into Kedusha, this is spiritually what creates the element of reyach. 
So every object gives forth things that return back to the person in relationship with that object or that person. A lot of different things, like we said, the sound, the texture, the flavor, the light, what it looks like, of course it's colors, but then there's the element of the reyach of it. The aroma of it is always associated with how much gvura there is in it. He says the reyach always comes from dvarim harifim, from sharp, sharp things. Sharp things here represents, spiritually speaking, an element of gvura, an element of strength, of severity, of intensity. Because the reyach, like everything that comes from the, from the object, is the nitzutzes, the sparks of holiness that fell into it as a result of breaking of the vessels. And the smell of it is how intense those nitzutzes are. Generally speaking, whatever is higher always falls much lower. And therefore, the sharper it is, the more sharp it is, the more intense it is, the more of a reyach chazak it has, a powerful reyach it has. And therefore, karbonus, where you're not just taking a physical object and using it as a mitzvah, but the metamorphosis is very extreme. You're taking the beast, the soul of an animal, and you're completely elevating it to the divine. So this... Hashem says, creates a tremendous reyach nechayach, the ur the ur the light that returns back from earth above, is extremely intense. And he explains, Reyach, it says, restores the soul, it relaxes the soul. That which in beginning was in a state of istalkus hamaychen, literally, somewhat of a person's consciousness is aloof, is departed. So the reyach brings back the alertness. It wakes up the person. It brings them back. The reyach, Chazal says, meishibes hanefesh, that when there's a istalkus hamaychen, a certain departure of consciousness, it should come back and fill the person, like a person who's somewhat asleep. He's near them. He's drowsy. He's sluggish. He's heavy. And the reyach, the strong smell, it wakes him up. Smelling salt. Smelling salt, yeah. When the person, so to speak, slept, so the seichel was more concealed. When he wakes up through the smelling salt, so his consciousness shines in him in a revealed way. And this could be affected through the, as you say, the smelling salt or the reich, the aroma, which is the ur hachoyzer, the light that returns milmata from below, lamaila above. This is why it says Rashi brings from Chazal when it says by Karbonis reich nichoyach. What's the reich nichoyach? It's a nachas for me that I said, and my will was done. Now, Esav, the Kedusha of him, there was no Gilui of Kedusha by him in a Pneumiusdik way, in an internalized way. Not that there was no Kedusha in it, everything has Kedusha, but it was, it was swallowed up. And because it was swallowed up, he couldn't experience it. But Esau's Kedusha is represented by the Levoina, the 11th herb, which we called Armakev. That's why it says that Yitzchak had to smell 
the smell of his clothes. The clothes were the clothes of Esau. What Yitzchak did was he smelled the Begadim. Hu p'chinas hamakifim. Sheyiye mizeh reyach. Hu halas mayin nukvin laham shechamakif metala shamayim. The reyach of the Begadim represents always reyach is an er makif. So what creates the reyach of it is the er makif. And that was the halas man that Yitzchak needed to smell in order to be able to bring down the Yitin Lechol, which was the Ur Makif. So Rivka understood that the only way Yaakov can take the brachas for Esav is if he dresses himself up in the Begadim of Esav, which means create the smell of Esav's Begadim, which is like the Reyach HaKtoiris, the Reyach of Levayna Zaka, which is the Reyach of the Kedusha of the Ur Makif, which when Yitzchak smells that from Esav, so then V'yitim l'cha l'kim, he could give the brachas that we spoke about, the brachas of Makif, which are mital shamay. Yeah. Can we, um, can we compare Makif or Reyach It's not exactly the same idea, but it has similar properties. Because Soivev means Makif. But here it's understood a little bit differently. But there are similar properties between Makif and Saiv of Kalama. Why? What's what's prompting you to compare to Saiv of Kalama? Um, well, I, I just want to compare it like in the time of Mashiach, Saiv of Kalama is supposed to be part of um, the Malik Integration. Integration, so I was just wondering. Right. Well, generally, Saiv means Makif, but here but it's, 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 a, it's somewhat of a different concept. So it's, it's not good to confuse at the moment. Soivev is soivev, makif is makif. But there are, uh, there are. Uh, yeah. Allah la kavish upon Allah soivev. I'll be masbir. Try to be masbir. <laughs> People have different concepts. When you're in a relationship with a person, you relate to different parts of them. I could see you. I could listen to you. I can, of course, feel you. I can touch you. We have the five senses through which we relate. And this, we get the stimulation, the stimuli from everything around us. So I could see you. I could talk to you. I could listen to you. I see what you look. I can touch you. I can taste you whether it's, it's food or an object or a person. Uh, but then there's also, I smell you. <laughs> I smell you. There's the reyach you emit. Now there's smell, as we say, you know, this person uh, is not using deodorant. We're talking, that's one element of reyach, and that's true. And he says that, you know, sharp things <laughs> produce a lot of reyach. So that's also connected to the very physical concept of reyach. But that concept represents something spiritually. Sometimes people say, you know, this is, I smell, I snuff it out. There's the element of smell. You can't define it. Reyach is therefore associated with makif. The reyach is associated, it's the makif of a person. Just like literally, the smell doesn't have a particular place. Not associated with a particular place or a particular region. The smell travels, and sometimes if it's a strong smell, 
It travels wide and travels far, and it expands. The taste doesn't travel. <laughs> if you eat it, you'll taste it. The touch doesn't travel. You have to touch it. The reyach is considered an ermakif of something that expands and it travels, and it's not something that's so tangible. On the other hand, it's very, very powerful. Aromatherapy, as they call it, is extremely powerful. And sometimes it says, reyach is meshev asanefesh. It wakes up the soul from a place of dormant, from a place of latency, from a place of slumber. It wakes up the reyach. This is the ermakiv that comes out of it. I once heard from a Yid. It was a Yid. He's already on the Oil of His name was Rabbi Moshe Groner. So he once told me that uh, there was an old Chassid whose name was Rabbi Moshe Leib Rochstein, who was a secretary by the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayats. And he once asked <coughs> Moshe Groner to do him a favor to bring something to Manhattan for him. So he brought, and he came back, he wanted to pay him. So he said, no, he's not taking payments from him. So he says, but I want to pay you back. How can I pay you? So he says, tell me a story that people don't know. So he says, I'll tell you a story. He went to Marienbad. You know Marienbad? Marienbad in Czechoslovakia had springs. It was like a dacha. It was a, a kurarta. A lot of rebbes, a lot of rosh a lot of gedoli. So he said, before the war, Marienbad in Czechoslovakia. It was a very healthy place, like a retreat, you know. They had good... Good air and good bath bathhouses. A health spa, yeah, yeah. Marienbad was a very popular health spa. I think pictures of Rabbi Moiser and Baruch Ber over there. Yes. One of them, huh? Mriamis went. Yeah, the Munkacher went. So the Rayats, the Pesach had a lot of health problems in the 1930s, MS and other things. So he had to go to the doctor center to Marienbad. So he went there. One day he went for shachras to shul over there, and then he came home. He was eating breakfast, and his mother also came with him. Their Eber Hashab's wife, her name was Eber Tzinshtein Mother was there. So he tells his mother, by the way, Reb Moshe Leib is telling this to Groner, who told it to me. He was there. He was, he was, he was a secretary. He was a gabbai. So he says he tells his mother by breakfast that uh, on the way back from shul, I saw today the Munkacher. The Munkacher Rav was the Baal Minchas Alazer. It was one of the the great rabbis of the time. He says, he's here also in Marienvat. And uh, so his mother says, ah, I, 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 I would love to meet the Munkacher, the Michas Alaza. She says, Grada, we made up, the Munkacher didn't see women. Privately, he wouldn't see women. He says, he tells his mother, I made up with him to take a walk at three o'clock. We're going to take a walk, Shmuz. So uh, if you want, we'll take a walk. You could see him. You wanted to see him, you could see him. So she says, fine, I'll go. Were you taking a walk, he says? So, so the Munkacher was a big kanoi. He was very, uh, he was a very, very zealous person. He's <laughs> a very ehrlich person. There's a video from him, you know, a video that's been circulating a few years about Shabbos. Americana Yidin hit Shabbos. So you can take a walk. So uh, she said she'll stand there. She'll, she'll, she wants to see him. She, wants, she always wants to see the Munkacher Salazar. So Moshalei Brashti says this time came and the Rebbe Rayats and the Minchas Alazar, the Munkacher, the Lubavitch Rebbe and the Munkacher Rebbe were, were taking a stroll and it was, it was a tzir and he was walking a little behind, you know, just to be a Mashamash and they were, shmur, they were talking about... <coughs> he says in the middle, the Munkacher Rebbe was a, was a great seyid, he was a helikayid. In the middle he turns to the Lubavitch Rebbe and he says, Du schmeckst was ich schmeck? Do you smell what I smell? He says, what do you smell? 
I smell here somewhere, I smell the reich of Ganeidin. So do you smell it also? So then he says, Das is the mama. That's my mother. She was behind the tree. He says, Das is the mama. That's my mother. Every person has a smell. A smell. A smell is not the tangible, uh, tangible component. It's not the tangible component of a person. It's what's called the ermakiv of a person. You have the lulav, the estrig, right? The Chazal say, estrig has a tam and a reach. Lulav has a tam, no reach. Hados has a reach, no tam. Arava has neither. Tam is erpnimi. Reach is ermakiv. Tam is what you digest. I taste you. I have a conversation with you. Reach, I don't digest. Reach is, I smell. What you would call a person's halo, a person's energy. It's above the person. And the interesting thing is, the sharper something is, the stronger the reyach. Because the makif is always stronger by klippa than by kedusha. So physically also, he says, the sweet apple, there's no reyach. The, the, the sharp, the sharper it is, the deeper the reyach is. So because that's the er makif. And therefore, he says, the light that comes out of something, the Kedusha is always the sparks that fell down from the Shvira Sakela. Since in Klippa you have a very intense Ur Makif because it doesn't come into Pneumius, so therefore the Reich that comes from there is also a very, very powerful Reich. That's why Karbonus are called Reich Nechayach Lashem. Because the energy that comes out of the Karbonus, the energy of Makif that comes out of the Karbonus is extremely powerful because here, the sparks fell down even below the human race. They fell into, so to speak, the animal kingdom. And when you take that behemoth, and it suddenly becomes a carbon lashem, in other words, it goes through a tremendous transformation. So the reyach that that creates, as the makif, is oila, tukdusha, is more powerful than any other mitzvah. That's why, dafka, by carbonus, you say, reyach nechayach lashem. But yet, in the avoid of the Beis there was only one avoid that was all about smell. And that wasn't Karbonus. Karbonus is an element of smell, no question. Spiritually, for sure. But Ketoris was all about Reyach. All there was from Ketoris was what? The smell. And the Gemara describes how women didn't have to use perfume. Yeah, you remember the Gemara in Yerushalayim? Why? Because of the Reyach HaKetoris. What's Pshat in this? What's Pshat? Pshat is that the Reyach HaKetoris was so powerful the Urchhoiser, the light that came from those herbs that were being burnt up on the coals of the Mizbeach HaPnimi every morning and every afternoon was so intense that it spread far and wide. So this represents always the Urmakif of something. That's why people say, I smell something. It's not, you didn't test it in a laboratory. It's not mamash on paper. It's something that's much less tangible. It's something much more abstract. It's something much more transcendent. When Yitzchak meets Esav here, when Yaakov puts on the Levushim of Esav, what are his words? He says, Vayorach es Reyach B'gadov. So the Medrash says, as he brings, Reyach B'gadov is Reyach Boigdov. Beged means a traitor. A Boged, in Hebrew, a Boged is a traitor. Why is a Beged the same word like Boged? Literally because B'gadim betray people. I could be very wealthy and I wear homeless clothes or the other way around. I can be a poor person and you wear, you know, wealthy clothes. Generally, clothes are labels. They cover up the truth. That's what clothes are. 
So Beged is a Beged. The great traitor is clothes. And often people use clothes exactly for that purpose. <laughs> to betray who they are. To themselves even. And the key is not to confuse the clothes with the substance. So Vayarech Esreyach Begadov. Who's Begadim? The Begadim of Esau. On one level it's Begadov. It's a traitor. Esau was a traitor. On the other hand, the Reyach of that is extremely powerful. Why? Because it's the Reyach of Makif. And the Ur Makif of Esau is very holy. The challenge of the Makif is, as we, as we said many times, that it wasn't integrated by Esau. If a Yitzchak to give Esau the Ur Makif, which is V'yitim L'chalakim Shamayim, which ultimately ended up by Yaakov, in store for Esau, there had to be the Vayarech Esreyach B'gadav Yetis sense, the Ur Makif, and only then can he initiate the Ur Makif, the Man can elicit the Mad, the man, the Mayan Nukvin can elicit the Mayan Dukhrin to give him the Makif Matala Shamaya. What does this mean in life, in a person's relationship? It means if I don't sense Ace of Makif, I will not be able to articulate my own Makif in order to be able to give it to him. So therefore, Yitzchak, so to speak, when he smelled, when he chapped, when he sensed, when he experienced that energy coming from Esav, ultimately he can introduce the Ur Makif in a more intense way to be able to help him become aware of that Makif because the Makif was completely in a non-awareness state when it came to Esav. In reality, this had to go through Yaakov. In other words, Esav wasn't wearing these clothes. Yaakov was wearing these clothes, which is the reason that Rivka had to dress up Yaakov with these clothes. Because the clothes here don't only represent physical clothes. She put on physical clothes and she said, go take the brachas. She had to teach Yaakov. It was a tutorial. It was a lesson. She had to teach Yaakov something about Esau's experience of life. Because if Yaakov would not learn about Esau's experience of life, how can Yaakov ever give the brachas to Esau? He can't sublimate Esau. So for Yaakov to sublimate Esau, Yaakov ultimately had to get something of the soul of Esau or 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 the experience of Esau, something of the neshama of Esau, of the makif of Esau, at least on a level of close. When Yaakov keeps on telling Esau, are you Esau, Oni, Oni? On a literal level, you know, Rashi says, and and so forth. On a deeper level, what Yaakov was telling Yitzchak is, I am ready, I am ready to identify with Esau, I am ready to, to, to take a piece of Esau into me, which he wasn't ready till that point. Why would he? There was, a, there was a partition between the two brothers, but there's no way I could connect to you, there's no way I can elevate you if I can't find you within me, and you cannot find me within you. So therefore, if she would not put on Yaakov, Esau's clothes. She would just say, go in as Yaakov. The whole point is pointless. The whole point is, I have to be able to find you in me in order for me to be able to sublimate you. If I'm sitting in an ivory tower, and I say, here, come into my palace, it's not going to work. I have to have something of your world in my world, something of you inside of me, that I can then identify with you from an internal space, and therefore from a genuine space. Without that, there can't be that relationship. And only when Yitzchak smells this reyach ha-makif, this ur makif coming, can it elicit this type of bracha? When we say that Yaakov was, it was his own makif, it wasn't Esau's makif. Are we saying that Kedusha really has, even somebody who's in a place of Kedusha, 
really is in a place of Klippa. Explain. Yaakov was accessing his own his own market. It wasn't Esau's market, it was his own market. And by relating to his own market, he could relate to Esau. But really, it's a, it's a continuum. It's, we're talking about Kedusha as an absolute and Klippa as an absolute. But really, it's, it's a continuum. So nobody ever really gets to a place of Kedusha that there's zero Klippa. So... The way I'm understanding it is Yaakov was accessing his own market. Because even though you're in a place of Kedusha, even though you're in a place of Kedusha, can you, can you, can you attain that level of, of Klippa so that you can see your own market? I would just put it a little differently. He's asking, does that mean that Yaakov was finding his own Klippa in order to be able to access Makif? I think it has to be put a little differently. And that is as follows. When you speak about Hashem, you could speak about Lifnei Hashem, and you could speak about Yudkei Vavkei. Yudkei Vavkei is the way the divine energy flows in an integrated way where things are holistic, where the light and the vessel converge, they marry each other. That's Yudkei Vavkei. Yudkei Vavkei and all the worlds are based on lights and vessels converging. And that's the flow of the divine, which is powerful, it's intense, it's infinite, but it ultimately flows in a way that can be conceptualized in each world according to its level, in each soul according to its level, each angel according to its level, each tzaddik according to his level, etc. Then there's what's called lifne Hashem. What we're saying is beyond Yudke Vavke. Beyond Yudke Vavke means divinity which is ein seif, which is infinite, and therefore it defies every structure, it defies every articulation because of its very nature, which is beyond nature. Klipa, in order for Klipa to live, it has to access some of that. Because if it goes through Yudke Vavke, it won't be able to be. So for it to be and remain Klipa, paradoxically, it has to tune in to the infinity of God, which will fuel it in a way that it could continue being it. Because that will remain Makif. Klippa doesn't want to deal with Pnimi because if I have to deal with Pnimi, I have to be deserving of it. I have to be open to it. If I can relate to Makif, it's great because Makif gives you the advantage of getting the fuel you need without dictating your life. You, know? you could be detached from it. Okay. So in that way, Klippa, paradoxically, because of its lowliness, has in a detached way something of Lifnei Hashem, Yudke Vavke. For Kedusha now to sublimate and heal it and, and elevate it, if I remain in the orbit of Yudke Vavke, there's no way I can connect to the Kedusha that exists in Esav. Because the Kedusha that exists in Esav comes from the infinite space. Even though it fell down low, that's why he's Esav, he's not Yaakov. But if I remain Yaakov... If I remain Yaakov, there's no way I can access his Kedusha. So it's not that Yaakov has to reveal the Klippa in him, I would put it differently. Yaakov has to connect to the place of Lifne Havaya, Lifne Yutke Vavke, in order to be able to access the Kedusha that descended into the Klippa in a state of Makif. That would be, I think, uh, but yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yutke Vavke is not an infinite space. Well, everything is infinite, relatively speaking, you have to understand. It's, 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 it's infinity that emerges in structure. Now, from God's perspective, everything is infinite. Even structure is infinity. 
It's always from our perspective. Even structure is infinity. It's just another way of infinity. Like we learned about the world of Akudim. Everything is infinite. But from the perspective of the recipient, it's called structure. Even the structure itself is not really structured. <laughs> we call it structure because we make sense out of it, right? But the point is, if Yaakov and Yitzchak can have an easy, smooth transition from the Ur Pnimi to the Ur Makif, then they can touch Kedusha. For this, a person, therefore, has to go into a much, much deeper place. Often you see this. People who are involved in... Uh, people who are involved in uh, deep, deep outreach work. And I don't, I don't just mean conventional outreach work, but really dealing with, uh, with struggling, struggling, struggling souls. They have to be ready to completely graduate all structures. And, and sometimes at a moment's notice, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a, it's, if a person has to relate to everybody just from his space, there's certain people you, will, you cannot reach. If I will remain in my, even if it's Shem Havai, it's very holy, it's great, it's beautiful for you, Yudke Vavke. But if the person is not ready to smell that reyach that comes and tune into that smell within them, then ultimately I have no language to connect with you. Because I'm forcing you to come into my language and you don't understand my language. There's no way you can understand my language. Um, And you'll see that uh, generally people who are successful in this area have the courage and the confidence to really not get caught up in any structure whatsoever. Conventional thinking, conventional wisdom, status quo, social conformity. All these things, there's a certain point, just doesn't work. So if you want to remain in your ivory tower, you could remain in your ivory tower. But if you want to connect, you have to go into that space. And if I cannot find you in me, how can I go into you? If I cannot find your reality in me, there's no way I can go in. Huh? Do you need to connect? About to pick up the other person. First of all, you want to pick up the other person. And second of all, if not, you really never... Picking up the other person allows you to become godly, not structured. By going into the other person's life, it allows me to become really godly. So it's actually even... As much as you help the other person, you help yourself even more. You know the story of Reb Nachman of Breslov? Huh? Reb Nachman has a famous story. He, used to, he would tell stories. He wouldn't always explain the stories, so you have to use your imagination. But he says that there was a prince who went crazy. He, went, he decided he's a t- chicken, a rooster. So he took off his clothes, because roosters don't have clothes. He went under the table, and he would do everything under the table. You know, he had to go to the bathroom. He ate. Everything was under the table. He didn't speak. Kukuriku, kukuriku. He became a chicken, a rooster. They called in every therapist, whatever they had then, I don't know what Reb Nachman called them, but Reufe Nefashis, what we would call today psychiatrists, to come in and check out that nobody can help him. So Chacham Echad said, I'll do it, I'll, I'll help him. What did he do? He took off his clothes, he went under the table. So the, the prince looks at him and says, what are you doing here? He says, I'm also a chicken. He says, really, where did you come from? He says, I'm also a chicken. And they spend time together, and he does whatever he does, he does chicken. And then one day, after a few months... He puts on an undershirt. He says, what's this? He says, there are chickens who wear undershirts. 
and then he puts on socks and he puts on shirts. Puts on. One day he starts eating with a fork and a knife, sits on a chair, goes to the bathroom. He says, what's this? He says, there are chickens who do this too. One day he starts talking. He says, what's this? He says, there are chickens that talk too. And so after a long time, he basically was doing everything a human being does with the excuse that chickens do this too. So there's one version of the story that at the end of all of it, he looked at him and he said, you know, if I talk like a human being and I eat like a human being and I dress like a human being and I go to the bathroom like a human being, chicken. What makes me a chicken? He went right back onto the table. Okay? That's the, the sad ending of the story. But I think the first message of the story is that uh, if I'm not ready to get undressed, I mean conceptually, and I guess in that story physically, and go under the table and say kukuriku, there's no way I could connect. I could sit here and say, you're meshugana, you're it's not true. But in his perception, he's really a chicken. So what are you supposed to do? Unless I'm ready to find the chicken in me. Okay, but now, now that takes a lot, a lot of guts, a lot, a lot of courage. But then what happens is, I found that peace within me, so now I come to you into your world. I connect to you in your world. Once I connect to you in your world, now I could show you what your world is really like, or what it could be like. Now it could resonate. Tell you what my world is like. Wonderful. <laughs> you know, knock yourself out and do with my world. How do I go into your world and show you what your world is like? This is the process of real avoider with another person. So, That's the whole avoider here of Yitzchak. So, so, I mean, Rivka realized this. So she realized the only way this is to see... If Yitzchak first gives uh, Yaakov this tutorial into feel Makif, into feel Reach, but Yitzchak's quote mistake was he thought he could do it himself. Meaning what, Yitzchak didn't have the ability to reach in and, and get rid of his structure and go, he himself said, He recognized that it has to come to a place that's Lufnei Hashem, then higher than Panemius. So he recognized he has to instill in this, he has to reach this boy through something different. But he felt he could do it himself. What? Rivka felt, no, if Yaakov knows what's happening to him, it's not going to work. If Yitzchak's going to do it, it's going to be premeditated, so therefore it can't work. It has to come to somebody who doesn't know what hit him. That Yitzchak gives give this to Yaakov. Yaakov won't realize how he was, quote, manipulated or, or, or sort of what happened to him. Whereas Yitzchak, if he tries to do it, can't work. Yitzchak knew that he had to reach this. He says, Lifne Hashem. So what was wrong with his plan to do it? Rivka quoted him as saying, Lifne Hashem. When she explained it to Yaakov, she said those words, even though he didn't say it to Esau, which we understand he can't say it to Esau. If he tells Esau, I want to bring you to a place before Yudke Vavke, Esau is like, Tati, let's not go there. You know what I mean? We have a good relationship. Let's keep it to the food. Rivka attributed those words to Yitzhak. So she's saying that Yitzhak recognizes that it has to be with Nashim. So what was wrong if Yitzhak would try to do it by himself? Since he recognized what he has to do. Right. So the word here is that Yitzchak's recognition was valid and genuine. And the attempt is extremely uh, virtuous in the sense that we embrace the attempt. That's why the Torah is so elaborate about it. The issue was not that Yitzchak was misinformed or that Yitzchak was naive or that Yitzchak was indifferent or whatever. Like, you know, or Yitzchak was out for lunch. In his words was... Mitzat the cheshben of history, Mitzat Hashem's cheshben, the Ur Makif, an Esav situation, Yitzchak saw Esav for who Esav really, really was. From Yitzchak's world, in Yitzchak's world, he says he looked at Esav Malmaila Lamata. That gaze is very precious, because without that, you can't sublimate Esav. On the other hand, there was another Esav. 
And that is the Esav who is completely detached from it. And that Esav would have taken that energy that Yitzchak gave him and abused it and squandered it. Or, the other way around, there wouldn't have been an Esav left. So therefore, mitzad that, Yitzchak's plan, even though it's an ideal plan, in actuality, has to come through Yaakov. But we're not going to delegitimize Yitzchak's plan and say, oh, it's just a foolish mistake. No. Yitzchak's plan remains the plan. The question is, how is it going to happen? Rivka is the one who accesses, the Gemara says in Yevomis about a man and a woman, the man produces the wheat. She takes the wheat and makes it edible. <laughs> she took Yitzchak's vision and said to Yitzchak, let's make this work. You know, men are dreamers, right? You come home, I'm going to take over the world. I'm going to make a company tomorrow. We're going to be billionaires by next year. Yeah? She said, one second, let's figure out how to do this. The first thing is, you got to... Uh, <laughs> the first thing is, huh? Yeah, you have to stop dreaming. In other words, Rivka's avoid was to channel to channel the energy in a workable way in the real world. And in the real world, in the real world, it has to come through Yaakov because Klippa is not in the position where it could figure out its beauty if it does not surrender to a vision of Kedusha. As long as Esau does not surrender to a vision of Yaakov, there's no way he will really be able to figure out how much potential there is in him. You have to have that moment of transcendence, which is a moment of pain, or a moment of discipline. It's all there in you, but if you're not ready to surrender to discipline, to a higher space, it can't come out in you. It just won't come out in you. And and, and that's why, ultimately, it has to go through Yaakov, as a chichatavit. Yotifus. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.